Good morning. You can be seated. Well, I'm really excited about uh, when Aaron asked me to uh, preach this morning. And among the things I was excited about, I was going to get to use uh, Aaron's clicker. <laughs> that little gizmo he's got that puts things on the board up there on the screen. And I was pretty excited about that, but I've uh, found out that Aaron's very possessive about his clicker. And he said that uh, a man my age uh, is not techy enough to understand how to use it. So, so if you're looking for things to be above the screen, that's not going to happen today. So, Let's bow in prayer. Lord, uh, we just thank you for a time to worship, a time to focus on you, a time to declare your greatness. You are the name above all names. And uh, we just pray that you open our hearts to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been uh, looking at the uh, Ten Commandments, and today we tackle the third. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This commandment actually complements the first two. It continues uh, God's instructions on how to love him through uh, true worship and what that looks like. He's uh, told us that uh, we are to worship and love one God and one God only. Not idols and gods made by and through the imaginations of men. So the third commandment continues this theme by instructing us on the manner of worship. How are we to come before this one true God in worship? Now, some of you may be asking, what does taking the Lord's name in vain have anything to do with worship? Well, we'll try to answer that question in the time that's before us. We're all familiar with uh, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. It's a story of forbidden love. The Montagues and the Capulets were two families that were at war with each other, kind of an earlier version of the Hatfields and McCoys. And Romeo, uh, Montague, and Juliet, uh, a Capulet, fall in love. But because of their family names, they could never be married. It was their names, and only their names, that kept them apart. And at one point, Juliet cried out, What's in a name? What's in a name? Well, let's try and answer that question. What's in a name? Have you ever noticed that the first thing you do as a parent when your child is born is to give him, him or her a name? And most parents uh, take that task quite seriously. As you may have heard, my daughter Mandy and her family are in the process of adopting a newborn baby boy. Uh, we all had input on potential names. And I thought mine was the best, but it was quickly rejected. Since the mother was Hispanic, and since uh, Mandy's, well, the birth mom uh, was Hispanic, and, and since Mandy's third uh, child was named George, I thought it would be cute and appropriate to name him Jorge, which is George in Spanish. Two Georgies in one house. It couldn't get any better than that. But uh, 
as I said, the idea did not go over well. They settled on Mateo, which means gift of God. And he certainly is, and he's over there getting a bottle right now. So we're happy he's here with us. In my readings this week, I came across a story told by a pastor concerning the complexity of naming children. It conveys a difficulty parents face in naming their children. He he wrote this. My wife and I have a lot of kids, so it can be tricky to choose good names for the younger ones. We have a son named Jacob, so Esau is pretty much out of the question. We've always liked the name Joseph, but opted out for Benjamin for our sixth child because we realized we already had a Mary. And Mary and Joseph would be a bit much, even for a pastor's family. We also considered the name Peter, a family name on my side. But we also have a Paul. And you can't name your kids Peter, Paul, and Mary. Now, for those of you too young to ever heard of Peter, Paul, and Mary, they were a popular folk group in the 60s and 70s. So uh, why do we worry about names for our kids? Why do we have names at all? A name is what distinguishes one person from another. And is so closely associated with the person who bears that name that it immediately defines that person in the eyes of others. Your name becomes a decoration of everything you are and what people think about you when you hear your name. In other words, when you hear a name of which you are familiar, you immediately think of the attributes, the personality, the actions, and the behaviors of that person. Their name represents who they are and how you view them. For example, When you hear the name Adolf Hitler, you think of evil. When you hear the name Mother Teresa, you think of compassion. And when you hear the name Aaron Bacon, you immediately, without hesitancy, think of children. We call it reputation. And the Hebrew word for name includes the idea of reputation. We work hard at defending the reputation of our name. We don't want our names sullied. We don't want our names slandered. We don't want our names ridiculed or made fun of. Uh, Proverbs 22 tells us that a good name or reputation is more desirable than great riches. Now, why is that? Because our name directly embodies who we are as a person. And the same is true about God. His name has meaning. It represents all He is, all of His divine attributes, His eternal nature, His sovereignty, His holiness, His great and almighty power, His justice, His infinite love and mercy, His faithfulness, His wrath. All of His attributes are encompassed in His name. Thus, everywhere in Scripture, the name of God is exalted. Exalt His name. Sing praise to His name. 
Give thanks to his name. There is no other name. How majestic, how magnificent, how awesome, how marvelous is your name. And from the very beginning, God himself has elevated his name above all names. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. When asked his name by Moses at the burning bush, God declared, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now what did he mean? In Hebrew, the phrase I am standing alone is the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency and self-existence. So the I am is the one who always has been and always will be. The one who does not depend upon anything or anyone. The one who created the heavens and the earth by the words of his mouth. The one who holds all things in the palm of his hands. The one who lacks absolutely nothing. The one who needs absolutely nothing. No man, no living thing either in heaven or on earth can state, I am. Only God. And that's why, the, that's why the Jews hated Jesus, by the way. He continually used the word I am. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the gate. I am the way. I am the door. And when asked if he was the Son of God, what did he say? I am. So when God declared his name to Moses, he wanted the people of Israel to remember who it was that brought them out of Egypt. It was the great I am, the self-sufficient one, the self-existent one, the creator, God Almighty. Likewise, uh, when Jesus taught us how to pray before the Father, the first thing he stated was to remember who it was to whom we prayed. The name of God. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are to remember, therefore, like the Israelites, who it was that rescued us. Who it was, who it is that we serve and follow. Who it is we worship. God in all his glory and majesty, the consuming fire, the judge of all men, the lion of Judah, the king of kings and lord of lords, the lord of creation, the blessed redeemer. I grew up uh, in the Episcopal church. And one of the things I look back on with respect is the way each congregant was to prepare himself for worship. When we found our pew, we immediately pulled out the kneeling pad and we bowed in prayer. The idea was to remember and respect the one whom we were about to worship. The idea was to put his name first in our minds and hearts. 
Let's stop a second and take a little side trip with me. If this is God's purpose to elevate his name, then what is Satan's purpose? Is it not to cheapen his name? Is it not to degrade his name and to defile it? You know, we uh, recently celebrated the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think of the crucifixion of Jesus, we generally think of the pain and agony that he went through, and rightly so. But often we forget the abuse that he suffered verbally when his name was attacked. The people mocked him, ridiculed and insulted, scorned and laughed at him. They demeaned him. They sneered at him. They spat upon him. They defiled him. What a horrible scene that must have been. But that's exactly what Satan wanted. The name of Jesus attacked, demeaned by his own creation, defiled by those made in his own image. So let me summarize where we are at this point. Our name matters. Likewise, God's name matters. His, representation, his name is the representation of all that he is. His glory, his majesty, his supreme deity. And we are to honor and revere his name just as we are to honor and revere him. Because the name represents who he is. Now this leads us back to the uh, third commandment. We are not to take this holy name, this representation of who God is, in vain. The Jew took the commandment quite seriously. Ancient scribes would actually wash their hands before and after they transcribed God's name. Later, they wouldn't even speak God's name. They used, quote, the name whenever referring to a personal God. Well, this is a, certainly one way to avoid, to avoid violation of the third commandment. But let's stop a second. It, it, goes, it goes much deeper. It goes much deeper than that. What does it actually mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Some translations use the word misuse rather than vain. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And the Hebrew word for vain encompasses the idea of misuse. It literally means emptiness, hollow, worthless, So to speak vainly means, to put it in words, to speak empty, hollow, and worthless words. To misuse the word by stripping it of its true meaning. Let me give you an example. We often use the phrase, how are you doing, when greeting someone. It's a polite greeting, but in most cases lacking any genuine concern. Are we really expecting to hear how they are doing? 
I mean, how they were really doing? Not honestly. They are generally empty words, empty of any genuine concern, divorced from, divorced from their true meaning. How about the phrase, have a good day? Do we really care if they have a good day? Maybe. Do we ever give it a second thought? Maybe. It's just a habit. Again, it's a polite way of saying goodbye. These are empty words, hollow of their true meaning. Likewise, God does not want us to use his name in a similar fashion, with words that are devoid of any meaning or thought or feeling, with words that are unworthy of who he is, with words that profane or defile him. Why? Why is it that God's so adamant about that? Because in doing so, we have separated his name from his person. We have taken his name and misused it as if it was somehow divorced from the God we declare as holy and righteous and good. His name should be honored and revered, not used in some haphazard or a trivial manner. The name and the person go together. I recently learned that the word sandwich is derived from the man who came up with the idea of putting a hunk of uh, meat between two loaves, uh, pieces of bread. His name was the Earl of Sandwich. Now let me ask, when you make a sandwich, do you think of the Earl? No. We use his name without any thought of this great pioneer of fine cuisine. The name and the person have been separated. Think of Noah Webster. He produced the first comprehensive English dictionary in the early 1800s. His name has become synonymous with the word dictionary. I needed a Webster's to get through school. But did I think of old Noah when I was leafing through the pages? No. The person behind the name had lost all significance. How then do we violate the third commandment? Whenever we use the name of the Lord in a manner that separates his name from his person, in a way that does not reflect the person behind the name, in a way that does not honor the one who bears the name, in a manner that degrades or trivializes who he is. Let me say that again. How do we violate the third commandment? Whenever we use the Lord's name in a manner that separates the name from the person. Let me give you a, a couple of ways that we can do that. Number one, the first that comes to mind is when his name is tossed out as an expression of shock or anger or outrage. How often do we hear words like, oh my God, Jesus Christ, God damn. You can't escape it. Such language is even promoted by the entertainment and media industries. It's become so common in uh, movies and TV shows that people hardly notice it anymore. They hear it and think it's okay. 
And Nancy and I can stomach some vulgarity in movies. But when they use the name of our Lord in such a manner, we cringe. This is our Jesus, they're profane. Imagine for a second your name being used as an expression of anger or as an expression of ridicule or incompetency. Instead of saying, for example, he's a fool, they say, he's a George Wood. Now that might be an apt description of who I am, but I would still be offended by the use of my name in that context. Can you imagine then God's reaction? When his name is used in such a fashion, as a mere expression of somebody's anger, somebody's disappointment, can you imagine the reaction of the angels in heaven who all, all the time declare and exalt the name of God? It's a misuse of his name. And it's not worthy of the one who bears it. Again, as a, as a side note, have you ever wondered why his name is the one that's used in this fashion? Why not George Washington or Willie Mays or any other name? Well, there's two reasons. The darkness of men's heart together with the objectives of Satan. You see, Satan is not particularly interested in your reputation, nor is he particularly interested in the reputation of somebody that has lived in the past, but he is interested in the reputation of Jesus. And any time his name is, can be attacked, any time his name can be demeaned or defiled, he nods his head with approval. He smiles. Number two, we also misuse his name when we speak it carelessly and thoughtlessly, in a frivolous or flippant manner, jokingly or lightheartedly. Expressions like the big guy, the man upstairs. Is that who he is? Are these expressions, do they give him the honor that is due? Or jokes, or comments that reflect a flippancy, that cast him in a light not worthy of the holy God that he is. Empty words used to make us laugh and bring him down to our level. Let me give you an example. I recently read a story about Billy Graham that I thought was really good. Goes like this. Billy Graham being interviewed on television was unexpectedly showed two clips from comedy shows. One depicted a hilarious scene in which a religious character was tripping over his robe whilst intending to be serious. The usual slapstick. Billy roared his head off. He enjoyed it thoroughly. He thought it was funny because it was saying that for human beings, pomp so easily becomes pomposity. When they showed him another program in which two well-known comedians arrived at the pearly gate of heaven, 
and got in and looked around for everything they enjoyed and couldn't find any of it, it finished up with one of them saying, Oh, hell. Billy didn't smile at all to the showing. The interviewer asked, Why didn't you laugh at the second? He said, Because in the first you were looking at human follies, the things we do that are silly. But in the second, you were laughing at the things of God. Too often, God is the punchline of a joke or a silly comment. Billy drew a line, a line he was not willing to cross. Number three, another area of concern is when we proclaim the name of Jesus to advance either falsehood or to advance what we want to get from people for our own advantage, for our own gain. We misuse his name when we don't use it for his glory, but we use it for our own glory. Perjury immediately comes to mind. To swear an oath to tell the truth. In a court, a witness used to place his hand on the Bible and to tell the truth, so help me God. To use God's name and his authority to back the credibility of our statements used to be considered sacred. In fact, God declared it so. In Leviticus, God made it clear that his name was not to be used in support of falsehood. You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. But most of us use his name falsely in more subtle ways, in ways that support our own motives, our own plans, our own behavior. We can only evoke his authority. If we can only evoke his authority, then we can justify to ourselves and others our behavior and our actions. God told me to do this. God wants me to be happy. God supports my plans. The power of God's name to support our own agendas. His name was never intended to be used to promote me. And to use it in this way is nothing but vanity, a hollow use of God's name to advance my own personal cause. Number four, hypocrisy is another area where God's name can be used in vain. Hypocrisy, where our lips say one thing, but our actions are saying another thing. And Jesus was particularly harsh on hypocrisy. At one time, he confronted the Pharisees with these words. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, few like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are filled filled of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So similarly, we can use the name of Christ as if he really meant something to us, when in fact, he doesn't. Using his name to influence others. That's hypocrisy. 
Empty, meaningless words meant to deceive. False words. They use the name of Christ as a cover, not as an object of worship. Number five. When we attribute things to God, when we call into question His works and character, we have taken His name in vain. When you vocally blame God for hardship and adversity, as if somehow He was at fault, as if He was somehow the culprit behind your misery, you have attacked His very character. You have demeaned who he is, and you have taken his name in vain. Let me close uh, with this thought. Words matter. Our words matter. Remember Isaiah when he appeared before the throne of God? He was overwhelmed by the holiness and greatness of God and cried out, Woe is me! For I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now why didn't Isaiah just say, woe is me, I'm a sinner? Because Isaiah came to understand at that very moment before a holy God that what came out of his mouth reflected what was in his heart. And what was there in his heart was not good, far removed from the holiness of the God he now beheld. Now similarly, Jesus taught very clearly that our words matter, that what comes out of our mouths reflects what's inside our hearts. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, he said. And he went on to say that we are accountable to God for every word, every word that comes out of our mouth, that leaves our lips. He said, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In other words, God is here, and he's listening. And what we say reveals who we are. What we say reveals what's going on inside our hearts. Even words spoken in frustration or weariness will be judged. Careless words, Jesus called them. And isn't it interesting that the third commandment deals with words? Words that reflect how we view God how we think of God, how we honor God. Any words of disrespect, any words of indifference, any words that portray him as something less than he really is are all heard by the one to whom we speak. It's a sobering thought, but it's it's a sobering truth. Listen. We are, all, we are all Christians. We bear the name of Christ. Therefore, how we live, how we act, 
what we say should honor, bring honor to him, to him whose name we bear. And to demonstrate by our lives and by our words that we value his name, the name we love, the name above all names. Thus, how do we obey the third commandment? By speaking and doing everything according to his name, to his honor, to his glory. That's why the Apostle Paul exhorts us in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is how we worship God. We exalt his name. This is how we love him. We exalt the name of Jesus in everything we do, and everything we say. This is how we live the third commandment. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we uh, confess that sometimes we don't honor your name as we should. Sometimes we make light of it. And we would just pray, Lord, that uh, we would be people who live up to our name as Christians that uh, we honor you in all that we do and say to your praise and glory. Amen.